0: It's episode number sixty-three of the Nail Saturday morning edition. Having just polished off a shamelessly large stack of chocolate chip pancakes, I'm Tom Valentino, and I'm joined as always by Travis Uli. Trav, how you feeling, buddy?
1: Incredibly hungry after that opening, but <laughs> it is what it is. You're 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 an East Sider, I'm a West Sider, so I can't I can't come over and steal some of the cakes. <laughs>
0: I I don't think I left any for you anyway. I was uh, I was feeling pretty selfish hungry myself this morning.
1: Selfish son of a bitch.
0: Uh, I am the worst, but uh, I will say it's a it's been a good week here. I I feel like we got a lot to talk about. So what do you say we get started with the NBA trade deadline? Let's do it. All right. So not a ton of action. I think the biggest trade by far actually happened a few days before that when Boogie Cousins got shipped to New Orleans. But uh, as far as the actual deadline day itself, um, always a dicey proposition in terms of work productivity and uh, monitoring Twitter to see uh, what the next Woj bomb is going to drop. But uh, not a whole lot happening. And I walked away from the deadline on Thursday feeling like the Cavs were actually uh, the team that that came out in the best shape, even though they didn't actually make a deal.
1: Yeah, and it sort of seems like, I don't know, maybe it's just me. It feels like we get real excited for the trade deadline every year and then not a whole lot really happens ever anymore. Um, Yeah. The cousins deal obviously is huge. Um, But overall it's, it it seems like trade deadline day isn't really the day that interesting stuff happens. Um, I'll say, I think the Baron Davis trade that ended up getting us Kyrie happened on trade deadline day, but it wasn't really that big of a deal at the time just turned out that way but there was really no big names outside of boogie cousins and i think um the Cavs' big trade deadline move happened a while back when they got Corver. so it was a fairly quiet day on the front um it's going to be interesting now i think to see how those the buyouts and the waived players uh see how those guys divvy up and see where they all end up
0: see here's the thing so i agree with you that it hasn't been particularly dramatic over the last couple of years though. i think before that um, probably going back to like 2015. I think that was kind of a wild trade deadline. But here last year in 2016 and now 2017 has been pretty quiet. And I think that's kind of indicative of what the rest of the league sees when they're surveying the landscape and, and their chances of contending. And I, I really think, you know, I think there's so much time spent during the year and it's such a long season that we have to cook up these storylines to get us through because you could only write the Cavs and the Warriors are going to meet in June so many times before people are going to not want to read it. But like deep down, we all know that like barring something catastrophic, it's going to be the Cavs and the Warriors in June and you and I know it. Everybody who's listening to this knows that. And I think, you know, whether they want to openly admit it or not, most of the GMs in the league know that and it makes it really hard to justify mortgaging a bunch of assets if you know that it's still not going to be enough to put you in a real shot to to get over the top and win your conference and get to the finals on, on either side has it
1: always has it always been like that though like I, I not can't to this degree and, I, and yeah you're right if i'm an east gm and i look at any trade all i'm asking is does this give me a chance to you know can I realistically expect to get past LeBron and the Cavs? And in most cases, the answer is going to be no. Um, we saw we heard all that stuff from Boston about possibly getting Paul George or Jimmy Butler. Um, Paul George was the louder name of the two, but both of those names got thrown around. And it's like, well, that makes you a, that's that's a game changer for I mean, you're they're having a Boston's having a pretty good season. Um, but I don't think anyone right now thinks they're a legit threat to beat the Cavs. I'm not sure they would have been with one of those guys either, but it certainly, you know, gives them a much better chance. And I'm not sure, you know, it's hard to say if, if the deal just didn't work out or if, you know, Boston decided to not do it, you know, there, there could be any number of reasons that it didn't actually happen, but overall, it seems like and in the West, no one thinks, you know, there wasn't really any moves out there that would get you past golden state. So everyone kind of just stood pat, I think. And, People didn't do that with, you know, when Shaq and Kobe were running the West. I don't think teams, you know, cowered and, and, and waited for those guys to leave. Um so I don't I don't know what the what the logic is behind it, but I also sort of understand it at the same time.
0: We'll never know for sure what exactly the deal was on the table that could have gotten Paul George to go from Indy to Boston. I know that one of the rumors out there was that it was gonna take like they had, like, a group of, like, four rotation guys um, from the Celtics, and it was going to be, like, a combination of three of those guys and then that Brooklyn Nets pick that the Celtics hold that it's probably going to end up being, like, a top five pick this year. So it was, like, three guys plus a, a top pick. And, um, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, that's that's too much to give up for for Paul George if it's not going to put you over the top I've thought about that a lot in the last couple days, and I particularly like to give Danny Ainge a lot of shit for constantly floating out things about how, oh, we were in position, uh, you know, we, we had the opportunity. Oh, and they're always like in the mix, and then it always just, they always are just hoarding their assets and they never actually make the big move. And, you know, if he reached the conclusion that getting Paul George was not going to be enough to put them over the top against the Cavs, and it might be better to actually just kind of build more towards like two or three years from now when LeBron maybe starts um, going a a step or two below God mode. Um, I I understand it. And at the same time, I still think they made the wrong move. If, If that was in fact the trade that was on the table, and my thinking on it is this, you know, I look at, I mean, would you agree with me that Paul George is a top 10 to 15 player in the NBA?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I always feel like when it gets to that point, he's probably right around that cutoff, but okay. yeah, for I mean, for the sake of this discussion, yeah, he's right around there.
0: All right. Well, I look at guys in that top 15 range, like people look at top 15 quarterbacks in the NFL, you know, they're a precious resource and you really can't win titles without them. And for me, like, if you have a chance to acquire one of those guys, you got to do it and figure out the rest of it later. If, if the rest of your rotation is going to take a hit, you got to live with that because you're always going to find ways to be able to improve your roster elsewhere. I mean, just look at like what the Cavs have done this year. I mean, they went into the season with basically a couple of trade exceptions and a 2019 first round pick. And, I mean, in that pick, we're probably looking at something in the late 20s, if they continue on their current path. I mean, those are not real great assets to be working with. And yet, as we sit here today, on February 25th, waiting for players to clear through waivers, it's very realistic that within the next day or so, the Cavs will have acquired this season Kyle Korver, completely rejuvenated Derek Williams, Darren Williams, and possibly even Andrew Bogut. Now those those last two, obviously the, the you know, hey, he's not in the barn or whatever to this point. But the point is like the Cavs had nothing to work with. And, you know, if your GM's as good as everybody says he is, he's going to find a way. And you've got to go get those star players when you've got a chance.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's sort of what separates in my mind, the NBA from the NFL Um Draft picks in the NFL are like gold. Um, Nobody, nobody ever wants to part with them, especially if they're early first round picks Um, for just about anyone, like you said, outside of, you know, one of those handful of quarterbacks who never get traded anyways. Um, I I think in in this case, especially with like a guy like Paul George, if you have a chance to get a guy like that nine times out of 10, you kind of just have to pull the trigger and do it. Um, Because there's no guarantee, and I think right now Boston has a chance at getting the first pick in next year's draft. um, With that Brooklyn pick, right. That Brooklyn pick, right. So, So I could see why that pick is particularly valuable, but at the same time, Paul George is a known commodity. And the first round pick, if you go back and look at the first overall pick in the draft over the last, I don't know, decade, I feel like half of them turned out to be really good, half of them haven't really done much of anything.
0: I mean, that's um, that's the joke that's been kind of going around the last couple of days that, hey, man, you got to hold on to that Brooklyn Nets pick because, I mean, it could turn out to be anybody. It could even turn out to be somebody as good as Paul George. Like
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, and that's like a best case scenario. Right. I mean, Paul George is really damn good. Like he's a really, really good player. If you have a chance to get a guy like that on your team, you kind of have to do it. Um, if you think you're close, if you don't think Paul George puts you over the top, I think that's kind of playing scared. But if you don't think he puts you over the top, yeah, maybe you do want to get that guy who you think can be Paul George in four to five years when the landscape of the NBA looks a little different.
0: Yeah, it just seems like an admission that you're just never going to be able to to get past the Cavs yeah, right you're, now. You're crying,
1: you're crying uncle, basically, and and saying you know we'll wait till we'll wait it out until LeBron's done um, running the East, which truthfully, I think it's a scared way to play, but I also, I also kind of get it and I can't say that I would play it differently if I were in that position, but I mean, that's, that's a good way to kind of lose your job too. I guess if you're, if you're a GM, you can't expect to be around in four to five years, you know? Yeah. So who knows? I don't know. I guess I'm not going to knock him too much for it, but I feel like they got a pretty solid team. I don't I honestly don't think it's as good. I think if they're banking on guys like Al Horford and as good as he's played this year Isaiah Thomas um, knocking off the Cavs then yeah, they're probably they're probably going to be uh, disappointed, I think.
0: Yeah. Um you know, the other thing with Paul George is I think his contract is up in 2 years and he's made it no secret how much he wants to play for the Lakers. Why I have no idea, but I think maybe there's a little bit of trepidation on the part of some other teams to mortgage their future to go out and get him if they are convinced that he's just going to bolt for Los Angeles in a couple years. That said, I, I could understand that for probably 90% of the league having that concern. But if you're the Boston effing Celtics and you want to pat yourself on the back about having, you know... Uh, 55 numbers retired at your rafters and all the championship banners and all the mystique and the history of your franchise and, and everything like that, then that can't, I, I just, I can't really reconcile that. Like either you're one of the show pony franchises for the league with the Lakers or you're not. And that that's one team I, I feel like should be willing to look past that and go for it. If they think he's a player, it's good enough for their team.
1: Yeah. And it's going to be interesting. I mean, they've obviously had some, uh, they've had a bit of a shake up in their front office in the last few days. So, uh, we'll the see Lakers. how that turns out. Yeah. The Lakers that is. Yeah. Um, so who knows? I mean, that team's going to look a lot different, I think. And I'm not sure. I I'm with you. I don't know why Paul George would I honestly don't get anyone's loyalty to a specific team at this point in the NBA. Um, you look at the guys that are, you know, the cream of the crop in the league right now, they weren't that four or five years ago. Um, It's all about where the players are, where the other guys are at. And I think if you drop Paul George on the Lakers right now, um, what do they win? Five, six more games. You know, I mean, it's not like you need other guys there and that's what it's about. if, If he just wants to be in LA and play for LA because he likes the Lakers. Well, that's, Sort of a stupid reason to go somewhere, but <laughs> more power to him, I guess. Yeah. Um. So who knows? I, he's one of those names that I feel like. Here's a question that I always throw out when I think about these guys: If Paul George is your best player, can you win a championship?
0: Um. I mean, I I think it depends on how close to him talent wise the rest of the, the supporting second, cast is, right?
1: Sure, and that's always the case, but I have a hard time seeing him as the best player on a championship team. Personally. Okay. Um, If you look at the if you look at the teams that have won in the last I don't know, ten, fifteen, twenty years, really the only one that's close, I think. And this is sort of the standard bear for how you can do this is the Pistons, the year they knocked off the Lakers. Yeah. Um, because they didn't have a clear cut, you know. Take over a game, superstar. Obviously, Billups made some huge shots then, and they, they had a lot of lot of good players. But every team has had at least one guy, and you're like, yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. And I don't know if I, I don't know if Paul George could could be that guy, and I don't know why we're spending so much time on Paul George. I don't, I don't know. know. We've we fallen down the Paul George <laughs> rabbit hole here. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm not, I'm not sure how that happened, but um, I think that that's sort of where teams are looking, and it sort of explains why the Um, why the trade deadline was fairly uneventful and why, you know, I can sort of understand GMs of other teams saying, well, before the trade deadline, it was going to be Cleveland and Golden State. Does this move change that at all? If not, let's work for the future. And I think that's what sort of what a lot of folks have just resorted themselves to at this point.
0: You know, the one team I will give some credit to in the East would be Toronto, because that's a team that, took the Cavs to six games in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and I don't think we ever thought that the Cavs were in any sort of real jeopardy in that series, but, I mean, that's the only team in the East that had beaten them um, in that playoff run, and um, they took a little bit of a step back this year and were kind of scuffling around the middle of the East playoff picture. I
1: like that Ibaka move, though. Yeah, I was
0: going to say, they went out and got Ibaka, and then on deadline day, they went and got P.J. Tucker, um who's uh, kind of that that uh, you know small forward type player that they can plug in and you know again that's not those aren't moves that are gonna put them over the top but I mean if I'm looking at the rest of the East, I like their chances better than Boston's now um I mean we saw those teams play last night and you know I mean I know what it's those two teams and Washington are probably like that second tier in the east and I think it kind of puts them back at the top of that pile, and you never know. I mean, if, if something happens to the Cavs here, I mean, they haven't been particularly lucky with injuries. I mean, it, thankfully, avoided the, the the catastrophic injury, but I mean, plenty of other dings along the way. And you know, um, that that's a team that understands that this is probably going to be their shot. Is is you know far or as long as the odds are and they they're still they're making a they're making an attempt to fight and they're not just cowering was was the word you use and um i i think that they're gonna be rewarded for that with how the playoff seedings shake out but but we'll see but you know i i did say that i think the Cavs are the big winners of this deadline um really the i mean the, the two reasons for that are number one nobody really significantly significantly closed the gap with them in the east Number two, just the way these trades shook out and the buyout market, I think this is the best post-trade deadline free agent pool that we've seen in probably 10 or 15 years. It's as good as I can ever remember. And, you know, I'd mentioned Derrick Williams and and Andrew Bogut. Um, I haven't haven't been checking Twitter here since we started recording, but by all accounts, like, I think Derrick Williams officially clears waivers and...
1: Darren Darren
0: Williams. Darren Williams, yeah, it's I know it's 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 gonna be a nightmare with Darren... Yeah, those
1: jerseys are gonna be confusing as hell.
0: <laughs> but uh, Darren Williams, um, he's gonna clear uh, waivers here at five o'clock today, assuming nobody else claims him, and uh, all indications are he's coming to the Cavs, and that's a huge break for for, for us, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I sort of. Um... I heard the Darren Williams name get thrown around a while back and it excites me a lot because I honestly, I think he's still got more in the tank than people say. And if he's coming off the bench, um, I think that's, that that helps a lot in that case because he's not, you know, he's not, uh, shouldering as much of the load as you might otherwise think or expect, um, on a team like Dallas where, you know, he's, he's one of their big names, I guess. um, so if he can back up and, and give you 20 ish minutes a game, I think he's going to give you a lot, lot more than, than, than maybe you're seeing out of him now in the role that he's in now in Dallas. So I think that's really exciting. Bogus doesn't really do a ton for me. Um, he's a good body something. And yeah, we need a big, I, I I'm not too excited about that, but as far as the names that got thrown out as possible point guards that the Cavs would trade for, um, I'd take Darren Williams over any of them.
0: I will. Uh, I'll give our buddy Johnny Warner credit. Um, he was on the Derek or the Darren. Damn it, it's happening to me now. <laughs> uh, the Darren Williams bandwagon weeks ago. I was getting text messages from him when we first started talking trades, and he's like, "We got to find a way to to get him on the roster." And uh, you know, you look at his numbers. I think he's averaging like thirteen and seven. Um, he's a great guy in the pick and roll. And you, what's the phrase that we've been hearing over and over and over again through the first three or four months of the season? Need a playmaker. Need a playmaker. That's a guy that can come in and run your second unit and and do that and fill that role. And it'll certainly take some burden off of Kyrie, which I think is a really good thing. And you don't want to be racking up miles on him. Um, and you know, I think he's a guy that is you know is a battle tested veteran. Who's played in some big playoff games, I mean, he could he could have a legitimate role in the playoffs off the bench, which is something that the Cavs really didn't have the later that the playoffs went on last year. I mean, if you look yeah, at the Cav- I mean, they've
1: been Mo- taking heat this year for, for not keeping Delhi, but if you're looking at the playoffs, I think Darren Williams can give you more than Delhi gave you last year. Delhi's sure.
0: minutes went down. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think his minutes went down like every single round of the playoffs to the point where he was virtually unplayable against the Warriors. And they brought in um, Mo Williams to, uh, you know, spell Kyrie for a few minutes, but I don't think he played more than about five or ten minutes. And, um, you know, I mean, when it comes down to crunch time, it's it's still Kyrie's ball game. But the fresher you can keep him, and yeah. the, the you know the less mileage you can put on him, obviously that's that's a great deal. Um, so you know, let's keep our fingers crossed here that by the time everybody's listening to this podcast darren williams is officially a cav for the rest of the year um, yeah because
1: it's what it's five o'clock today is that right
0: five yep five o'clock so it's the old line it's, did, it's did five o'clock of, somewhere uh, let's let's make it five o'clock here and let's let's get <laughs> let's it done fast,
1: fast forward eight hours <laughs> get get him get him here see if we can get him playing tomorrow that's right um what did you think of there was rumblings uh, around the deadline of a shump for Patrick Beverly trade. What did you think of that at the time when you did you I, I'm assuming you saw that stuff going around. What did you think of it when you were hearing it?
0: I did. Um I'm not I I am going to just admit I'm not entirely familiar with Patrick Beverly's game. Um, by all accounts, he's a good defender and a lot of people that I trust who follow those things more closely than I do seem to think that he would have been an upgrade over Shump and and the things that Shump could do I gotta be honest I I mean I could have gone either way on that I if anytime you can upgrade talent that's always a good thing um that said I think Shump's having a pretty good year and
1: um I I also think he's the guy I'm with you I, I didn't I wasn't crazy about the trade uh personally I don't think um I don't think Beverly is that much of a defender he's more of a offensive facilitator type guy um and I think Shump's the kind of guy you're going to need against a team like Golden State. Um, so if you can keep Shump, I, I was very much not, not wanting to lose him. Um, if you can keep him and get a similar, maybe slightly lesser player, a Patrick Beverly, but get another guy who can, you know, fill in as well while keeping Shump, I think that serves you better. Which is certainly what Darren Williams would provide.
0: Yeah, see, it's interesting. I think a lot of people I read seem to think that Beverly's the better player out of the two of those, and it was the Cavs that were going to have to find some way to include something else. And I I just, for me, I guess the thing that it comes down to is like with role players, especially, I tend to be in that camp of sell high. And Shump's had an injury history, and there are certain things that we know he can't do. Um, Always get nervous seeing him try to handle the ball too much. Um, so if there was an opportunity to, to bring in somebody in exchange for him that said I I, I value continuity and if, if he's playing really well, especially in in terms of what we expect him to be and he's filling a need for us right now I'm I'm fine with him staying here for this year and you know I don't know maybe he won't be here a year or two from now from now but um I, I'm good I everything that has happened to this point, With regards to who the Cavs have acquired, who they haven't acquired, and who they still have a chance to acquire, I'm I'm good with all of it. I really feel like we're in a good place right now. Um, And you know, one of the reasons why, actually, is this uh, this second unit that they've kind of stumbled upon since uh, Derek Williams uh, has come in on these ten-day contracts. Um, I was reading a really good story this morning. Uh, from fear of the sword, uh, looking at this lineup with um, LeBron and Channing fry and then Derek Williams, R.J. and Kyle corver and it's you know I don't know that they've come up with a real name for it yet. I think on the TNT broadcast the other night they were calling it the Death Lineup, which I'm sorry that's 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 a Golden State thing. I'm not gonna put that label on the Cavs at all, but. Um, It's just kind of like a supersized second unit when you've got a bunch of guys that are all at least six, seven. It's creating a ton of matchup problems. And for a team that had so many concerns about depth, it's kind of incredible that all of a sudden they're able to really kind of turn games over when they're going to a bench unit with LeBron and and reserves.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I'd call it a death lineup. I think that's a little misleading because it's their second unit. It's not it's not going to get – Cavs aren't going to run a whole lot with, with Kyrie not on the floor, let's be honest. Um, I have a hard time calling it a death lineup if your second-best player isn't part of it. Um, but that said, yeah, it's – like you said, it's created a lot of problems for other teams to defend. It's a it's a really different look um, because normally with a team like that, that, despite the size, it's still very much like a, a perimeter-type – type team uh or type lineup where um you got shooters and you're kind of moving the ball around and you're not just trying to pound it into the paint with guys that big um so yeah it's interesting to see how how you know if it gets to that point how anyone's going to defend that in the playoffs and but like you said it's it's the second unit so it's not it's not going to be you know it's not going to be the Cavs that everyone's used to seeing and it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to strike too much fear into their opponents, I think, but it does necess- it does definitely uh, give them a different look to consider, I think.
0: Well, I think where it's interesting is a couple of different ways. Number one, you know, you look at Golden State's death lineup and the reason that that's given teams so many nightmares is it's kind of an undersized lineup and, and it's so many guys that can run around and create havoc that way. Whereas the Cavs, it's, it's the height. And like you said, it's four guys that can still really shoot the three. And, you know, Derek Williams is not really much of a three point shooter, although he's knocked down a few of them since he's come in. Um, but uh, the fact that it's matching up with other teams' second units, the, the matchup problems it's creating, like it, when the Cavs run offense, it, you know, for LeBron, it's, I mean, he can either you know it's 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 just a matchup nightmare i mean you can run pick and roll plays with him and get him into you know situations where he's getting covered by uh, somebody who's big and slow or somebody who's going to be um too small and 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 they're feasting on that and i mean it's again it's a it's a small sample size but even when they bring in some of these other guys in terms of uh, free agents i i still think that that's a unit that's going to have some real intrigue, and, yeah, you know, the game against the Knicks the other night, um, Camps had kind of pushed that out to about an 18, 20-point lead, and then Knicks made a run on them in the third, got it back into single digits, and it was that group there that put the game away and basically played the first 10 minutes of the fourth quarter, and I think Kyrie got to sit pretty much the entire fourth, which is terrific. Um, so when you get into situations like that when you can really take advantage of teams bench uh you know the opponent's bench that's that's pretty exciting stuff, and um you know out of all those guys i i just i'm still i think I've said this in past weeks, but man, Kyle Corver is just unfreaking believable, and you know i I think he struggled his first couple of games, and I think I'm guilty of this, and a lot of fans are that we you know we start to base too much of our opinions on our initial impressions. And he was kind of shaky in those first few games. But I mean, like the last 10 games, he's shooting like 60% from three-point range. And he's scoring 20 points plus, like regularly. And he's only playing like 25 minutes a game. I mean, it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, the plays that they're drawing up for him are just ridiculous. There was a play I saw yesterday, and it was like, I don't even think I noticed it during the game. Um, but I saw like, uh, like the gif of it after the game. And it's just... I want to, I think it's Derek Williams and maybe Tristan. They just set this ridiculous screen for him. And it was, I mean, it was legal, but it was just this beautifully drawn up play where there was three guys all trying to close on the, oh, the elevator. And none of them could get even close. Yeah.
0: I love <laughs> and, it. It's one of my favorite yeah, plays
1: slide in and completely block off everything. And he's got a clear look and he buries it. If they can do like, if they can draw that up a couple times a game, that's just, that's huge. And yeah, like you said, I w- I'm with you. I thought, you know, first impression was uh he doesn't look good is he going to be rusty did we get and truthfully i think he was probably suffering from um mike dunleavy uh, who (laughs) we kind of thought was going to come in and do some of what corver did and he was just you know a flop this year so um i think we saw that and it's like oh great is this gonna be another one of those guys where we expected him to do these types of things and he won't um fortunately it doesn't look to be the case it looks no, like he's, run, he's hitting his stride pretty quickly and they're uh they're doing a great job getting him getting him looks running drawing up plays for him and and utilizing while he's out there so i'm with you i think um that's the big trade move that they make that they're going to make this year it's the only one and i think it's it's going to look a lot better than i think it did at first um
0: yeah just to clarify the the, the elevator play, um... Here's the, uh, just, I want to just kind of describe it for people listening who aren't familiar with that terminology. So basically the way the play works is like Kyle Korver is down along the baseline and you've got like two big guys hovering right around the free throw line or the elbow of, you know, at at the corner of the the free throw lane there. And what happens is, is Korver comes running up between those two guys and kind of curls out to the wing. and His defender Trails behind him, trying to follow along, and as soon as Corver gets through and gets to the three-point line, those two guys, those two teammates, close the elevator doors. They basically step in right next to each other, and, and it looks like closing elevator doors, and they set like this impossible screen to get around, and it leaves the shooter wide open. And it's one of those plays where it can be kind of dicey to run because, like, if you don't time it perfectly you're going to get called for an illegal screen because you're going to be moving while the defender's trying to get around you and that's a no-no obviously but if you time it right it is just absolutely awesome to watch And when you got a shooter like Korver whose whole specialty is running off screens to shoot threes it's it's fantastic so um it's a play I've seen other teams run quite a bit and now that the Cavs have somebody who specializes in that it's oh I'm it makes my day but anyway
1: yeah it's it's it's, it's one of those plays that I don't know if you, you recognize it live. When you go back and watch, it's just really fun to watch how the guys slide in. Um, like you said, they time it perfectly, um, and he just gets a clear, open look at it. It's, it's, it's one of those things that if you can execute it, it's probably uh, probably damn near impossible to defend if you execute it.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt um all right anything else on the Cavs? i i feel like we're we're in a good place here we just kind of kind of see how these free agent signings shake out but uh otherwise like
1: yeah good call uh good call Dub, on the trade proposal or the uh the move for darren williams i think that's that's probably what we're both pulling for um i'll be happy about that one bogut like i said i, I it's not going to really do much for me one way or another they do need a big and he's a big and and truthfully it could be one of those guys where I think he's a little salty at how things ended in Golden State so if if that helps you in the finals too then so be it um but by the time many people are listening to this I'm hoping that Darren Williams is already a Cavs so
0: yeah I was gonna say the thing on Bogut is just because of the you know there's just this assumption that he was not going to be able to go back to Golden State because of the new rules in the CBA or whatever and actually because it was Dallas that traded him away they were the last team to have him before uh he got shipped off to Philadelphia and got this buyout um on trade that by day it, it actually because it's Dallas that Golden State theoretically could bring him back and if they were still on good terms with him you would think that would be a natural fit but just from kind of reading some of the comments from the beat writers out there it did not sound like a very amicable split so um we'll see I I uh I don't. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going there. Um, I can't say for sure that he'd be yeah. coming to the Cavs, but certainly seems like a guy that seems pretty motivated to want to, you know, just stick it to Golden State. So I don't know. I I'm I'm not like you said. I mean, he's been dinged up quite a bit this year, and I'm not sure he's as good of a player as he has been in the past. But you know, um, and here here's another one from uh, our boy J W. and He reminded me this week and. I was in 100% agreement. Yeah, I think that's one of the really overlooked things from the finals last year. Everybody remembers, well, Draymond Green hit LeBron in the nuts, got suspended, and that opened the door for the Cavs to come back and win the series. And, you know, don't forget, you know, game five, that was when Draymond was suspended. That was when Bogut blew out his knee and ended up having to miss the rest of the series. And that was like Draymond misses game five that opens the door for the Cavs to win that game. Bogut gets injured, that kind of opened the door for them to really start attacking the paint a lot more in game six and then get them to game seven. And, you know, um, that was a really critical part of of that whole deal. So just uh, another one of those footnotes to keep in mind, I guess, as we look back on 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 the title.
1: Yeah, we'll see. Um, Yeah, like I said, by the time people listen to this, it could, some of what we're talking about could have already happened and, you know, might, might already be looking forward. So uh, next week, I think we'll probably have a better feel for what the team's going to look like going forward, I think.
0: Yeah. Um. All right. Let's, uh, the other thing I want to talk about, and I posted a story about this on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast. If you haven't liked it yet, go do that. Um, MLB, they're proposing some rule changes to try to speed up the games a little bit. And uh, the one that's going to go into effect this year, I think it's already been approved, is intentional walks. You're not going to have to throw four wide pitches. You're just going to be able to have a signal from the dugout, almost like a little league game now, and it'll just automatically move the guy to first base. Um, quickly, are you uh, are you in favor of that? Are you against that? Do you care?
1: At first, I didn't really care. I said, all right, fine, whatever. Not going to really do anything for me. Um, after thinking about it, I think I'm against it for for one reason and i didn't really think of this at first but if baseball is trying to attract fans and and i think everything that they do at this point is to keep a game that's that's fairly slow in general and not particularly like action-packed to to give people a reason to watch it i think those those rare albeit rare like i said they don't happen often but those rare occasions that um an intentional walk ends up in like a, a wild pitch or a pass ball, or uh, they leave it over the plate and a guy goes to reach for it and smacks a hit anyways. Um, Those are fun. I think you're, you're you're eliminating that opportunity, um, which I think is maybe a step in the wrong direction to save what 45 seconds every three or four games. I I just don't think it's going to give them the result they wanted. Um, It's not going to do a whole lot for them um so after after thinking about it a little more i don't i'm i think i'm i'm going with that i'm against it i am against i'm voting no okay i'm uh i i
0: I guess i was kind of in your previous line of thinking and I, i mean what you're saying here totally makes sense and that's fair i guess my only counter to that would be that what you're describing happens so rarely that I, I'm not going to worry about losing that. It's just, it's such a, a fruit, uh, a fluky freak play that I'm, I, I don't know. I mean, you're right. I, I guess it could happen, but um, it, it I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep over that. What I think is really interesting is the proposed changes that could go into effect for 2018. And this is, this is interesting for a couple of reasons. So the, the changes that I saw that were proposed, number one, putting a pitch clock on basically like the shot clock in basketball, where the guy's got to throw a pitch within, I think 20 seconds after uh, stepping out of the rubber. Um, Number two, uh, limiting the number of visits to the mound by pitching coaches, managers and other players. And then the third thing would be changing the strike zone and, and trying to limit the number of low strikes called. And a couple things with this. Number one, um and and really what I, I think is wild about this is apparently with the new collective bargaining agreement in baseball, I didn't I didn't realize this, but the commissioner, I guess, has the power now to just impose whatever rules and whatever rule changes he wants uh, as long as they, as long as he provides a year of notice, which, yeah. it, it, so like, that that to me is insane. Like if, if he like, you know, I don't know, goes, you know, uh, just gets a wild idea that all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're going to have uh, uh counterclockwise, tuesdays and every baseball game played on tuesdays the bases are their players are going to run the bases counterclockwise and go to third instead of first when they hit the ball like theoretically you could make that happen as long as you give it it a year's notice and that that just feels like a horrible uh imbalance there um but the actual changes themselves that he's proposing here i gotta be honest like the pitch clock and the limited mound visits I am a hundred percent in favor of the strike zone one. I'm not just because I, I feel like that's just messing with the game a little too much, but the other ones, I mean, good by me. I mean, you're going to see traditionalists and purists say like, you know, you're, you're, you're tinkering with the game and that's, that's not baseball and blah, blah, blah. Go back and look at a game from the fifties. Guys were throwing pitches that quickly, and there's a reason besides just the fewer commercials that games were getting done in two hours. Like, I, I went to a. They, they've implemented the pitch clock in the minor leagues, and I was at an Akron Rubber Ducks game last year, and they had the pitch clock, and the game was done in like two hours and 15 or 220 because it kept the game open. And, and I mean, if you need a clock on, you know, behind the center field fence in order to, you know, force guys to pick up the pace a little bit and get back to the way the game used to be played, hint, hint, traditionalist. I'm down with that.
1: Yeah, I think, and Tito came out and he said something this week about, you know, putting a clock on uh, manager visits to the the mound. And that was sort of an interesting one because he said he was for it. And that's one of those things where I think you would not necessarily expect a manager to be for it. He would, you know, want to take as much time as he needs. Um, but he basically said, if you don't know after that long, then you probably shouldn't be making the move. Right. So, um, that kind of resonated with me a little bit. I'm not sure the pitch clock. I'm not, I think it's one of those ones that I have to see in action. And you said you saw it and it sounds like you're okay with it. Um, yep. I don't, I'd have to see it in action before I can make my mind up one way or another. Um, but I'd give it a chance. I think it's one of those ones that you could try in like spring training. Um, see how it works out um, before you decide. And that's the weird thing is he has to give them a year's notice, which doesn't really give him an opportunity to try it out, you know? Yeah. So could he theoretically give them say, you know, I'm going to try this out in spring training next year. And if we like it, go with it. If not, we won't do it. I'm guessing. No, I'm guessing he has to decide what the rule is going to be beforehand. But um, the one I'll say that I heard thrown around and it's a horrible idea. And I think everyone agreed that it was a horrible idea, but the way he like explained it made a ton of sense was um, starting extra innings with a guy on second base. We can agree that that's a horrible idea, right?
0: I am for that in the minor leagues.
1: And that's, and then that's what he said. A lot of people, I think, when he announced it were like, um, no, because he's going to try it in the minors and then bring it to the majors. If he promises never to bring it to the majors – I'm fine with it. But the way he said it was basically like the minors, those are supposed to be developmental leagues. Exactly. You know, going 18, 19, 20 innings doesn't help anybody in the minors. It's good for absolutely nothing. So in that way, it's the way he explained it. It was like, it was refreshing to me to hear a guy because he clearly thought about it in the right way and was doing it for the right reasons, as opposed to just, trying to shake things up, you know? So yeah. when I first heard about it, I was like, that's a horrible idea. And then I heard more about it and was like, okay, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, if you want to do that in the minor leagues, um, that's totally fine. And if if you were to try to implement that in the majors, that feels to me like a classic negotiating tactic of let's throw some really extreme ideas out there just so that when you back off of those, you actually get the things implemented that you want. Um, I, I just, I can't see any scenario in which that would ever happen at the major league level. and Yeah, the, the great scenario somebody brought up a couple weeks ago when that whole idea first started floating around. I mean, think about, I mean, and you want to talk about rare instances. This is super rare. Um, what if a guy's got a perfect game going through nine innings and it's a scoreless tie going to the 10th? And you start the 10th inning and team bunch a guy over to third, and then um, sacrifice fly, run scores, team wins the game. Guy's going to lose a game throwing a perfect game.
1: I've long thought that the guy should get credit for the perfect game if it goes nine innings. If he pitches all nine, regardless of what the other team's offense does, or what his team's offense does, and this is completely unrelated, um, if you go nine innings and your team doesn't score a run, that's not your fault. You should get credit for doing your job. You pitched a perfect game, whether <laughs> your team hit a perfect game or not, neither here nor there, but no. that's just sort of a side, note there? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I think that's if he were, I don't even think he's in honestly listening to the guy talk. I like the way he talks. I think he approaches most things from a logical standpoint and has a good reason behind a lot of them. I can't see him ever introducing that idea in a serious way. No, um, for the bigs so from that from that side of it um i'm totally fine with it i i, I like him so far um i'm not sure i don't think he's a little refreshing from what we had with uh bud seeley before him i say uh, it feels
0: like we're at a good place with adam silver as the commissioner of the nba and rob manfred as the commissioner of mlb
1: yeah if they could do something about Goodell, we'd be uh we'd be in good shape i agree i agree
0: All right. Anything else before we uh, shut it down?
1: Yeah. um, Really quick. Could you explain to me your feelings on the dimensions of the planet Earth? (laughs) Round or flat?
0: Kyrie Irving. What? (laughs) Hits hits the game winning shit storm. If he hits the game winning three pointer. In game seven of the NBA finals and gives the Cleveland Cavaliers an NBA championship and he says the world is flat, then guess what? The world's <laughs> flat, my friend, and that's the end of it.
1: Uh, I, what, I what an odd story to come up. I can't um, I
0: still don't I still can't decide
1: if he's trolling or not. If
0: he's just like bullshitting people and like saw what a rise it got out of people and now he's playing it up.
1: I I, yeah.
0: I honestly don't know and um Frankly, I, I don't care. There's, there's so many more serious issues in the world right now. If, um, if, if he wants to, if, the, if that's the hill he wants to die on the, the flat hill, I guess, then, um, knock yourself out. Just keep knocking those three pointers down from the right wing. It's, 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 it, it boggles my mind and, and I can't see how any right thinking person could possibly think the world is, uh, flat, but, um, you know, it, it Ultimately, in the, in the grand Whatever. scheme of things, it's pretty harmless.
1: Whatever. We've seen guys that are a little off the wall in their thinking, and for the most part, Kyrie seems like a pretty level-headed, intelligent guy. Yeah. So that's that's why I immediately went to the trolling thing. Like if, um, and I'm drawing a blank right now to think of a guy who just would pull this, and everyone would be like, "Wow, he really thinks that." Um. But basically, like you said, if he plays well. If he keeps playing the way he's playing, and then he, you know, he hits those contested fadeaway threes uh, in the finals, um, don't care what he thinks about the uh, about the shape of the earth, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, the one thing I will say is, in a city that makes way too many t-shirts,
0: for literally <laughs>
1: anything. That t-shirt that RJ had this week, uh, "Flat World Champions," that's a winner. Yeah, I, that's right there. It's I believe
0: that was a uh, fresh brewed teas, So,
1: yeah, good pull out of them.
0: That's, that's good hustle. I I appreciate it. And that, that was that was a great shirt. So um, good for them. <laughs> oh, it's never boring. Never boring yeah. here in the land, the flat land. Of all, so. of all
1: the stories to come out of All Star Weekend, um, Kyrie thinks Earth is flat was was way at the bottom of the list of possibilities. I think
0: I was not so, prepared for that.
1: So from an entertainment standpoint, uh, I'll thank him for that, I guess.
0: Yeah. Oh my god. All right, I, I think uh, I'm gonna need to go lay down on the flat Earth here for a <laughs> bit and uh, and decompress. But uh, good stuff. I uh, I like doing these Saturday morning pods. This is uh, this is fun.
1: Yeah, good stuff, man.
0: All right, so hey, go uh, subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play Music or whichever podcast listening app you prefer on your phone um, but checking out the numbers on that recently and, and it looks like the downloads and subscribers through the podcasting apps is really starting to kind of move that way and you know if you listen to our show regularly you, you definitely that's the way to go it's the easiest way you always make sure you're getting the newest episodes um, and uh, it's you can take it on the go with you it's good stuff
1: there keep it up,
0: people. Yeah, yeah, thank you for subscribing. Uh, We really appreciate it. It's always always makes my day when I see those numbers uh, climbing, and um, really appreciate everybody checking out our show. Uh, You can catch all of the old episodes on our website, thenailpodcast.com and uh, if you have not seen the flat world champions shirt that Richard Jefferson was wearing, Travis posted that on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thenailpodcast. So, uh, we will be back uh, next week. Hopefully, uh, Cavs will have solidified their roster and we will see what happens. But uh, in the meantime, for Travis Uli, this is Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin and we will talk to you again next week. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay.